Welcome to the Alem Talks podcast, where we bring leaders together to talk about Black life, Black leadership, Black learning, and Black lifestyle. We are your ultimate lunch break. All right. Welcome back. Welcome back, everyone. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. I told you we'd be back. Here we are with another episode. You are not going to believe who we have in studio today. Okay. The one, the only, Corey Joe. Biddle. Oh, that was for me. That I was, was looking for, for somebody you. else. The one, the, the only. The one and only, <laughs> the executive director of our very own Fuel Milwaukee. Corey Joe is in the house. Listen, Hi. I haven't seen you in person since. I feel like it was Bronzeville days. There we go. And then before that, you were delivering the keynote address for the Urban League. Urban League YP group. Yep. There we go. Yep. <laughs> so it's, I mean, outside has been closed so long. I know. I really miss people. You're right. <laughs> I'm like at the point now where I'm just going to the grocery store. I don't need any food. <laughs> I'm just going. You're like, I just want to see the cashier. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so welcome to the show, Corey Thank Joe. you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to do this. Awesome. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Um. Well, as you said, I'm the executive director of Fuel Milwaukee. So many people will know that that is a young professionals group or a community engagement group for okay. professionals that live and work in the Milwaukee region. Before quarantine, uh, what we did was put together events, in-person events to help people network and connect with each other and really experience and enjoy the fullness of all that Milwaukee has to offer. As a Milwaukee native, that is very close to my heart because I grew up on the north side. I went to school on the north side. My first job was on the north side. And um, anytime I had to come downtown, I got very nervous because really? I just I always pictured myself going the wrong way on a one way street. OK, because to me, downtown just had all one way streets. <laughs> <laughs> but that was so many examples of what it is to live in a city that is segregated mm -hmm. and siloed. And then you come to downtown or to Tulsa or to, you know, River West or whatever it might be. Right. And it's like, oh, wow, I didn't know it was like that over here. Or, oh, wow, I didn't know, know that this was here. Oh, this is so cool. I had that experience myself. So when I became the executive director of Fuel, I would be one of very few people of color at our events. And there would be like two or 300 people at these events. Really? Yes. It was like all me and all the black people are friends. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because when I first start came on staff, it was like we would just find each other and connect. Mm -hmm. But um, early on, like when I was on staff, I would talk to them a lot about the music we played and the food that we chose and the speakers that we put up on the website and mm -hmm. the marketing images and when I became the director it signaled for a lot of people wow this is maybe I can come to these events so right representation matters it does it matters so much and so we've for a long time been trying to make sure that we you know have diverse speakers that we go to spaces that signal to everyone that Milwaukee is for all of us mm -hmm. and every part of Milwaukee is for you not mm. just one little piece. So we were doing that through in-person events and right. through speaking engagements and all of that. And then, of course, um, where we quarantine hit, social distancing, it was all about uh, virtual. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't really sure how to pivot, but we did. <laughs> and we are now doing a lot of our work through um, a program called Race Bridge, which Ooh. is in uh, a webinar okay. that that we do. That is all about race, racism, racial equity, and it brings together all kinds of people. I mean, every kind of person you can think of to talk about these issues. Mm -hmm. And we get anywhere from 200 to 900 people on these calls. Regularly, we have 30 of them that we've done that are up on our YouTube. That's uh, awesome. So all, mostly young professionals, um, all mixed crowds. About 70% of our members are white. Okay. Um, but everybody is showing up and um, has something to say asking questions, just a non-threatening environment. So we've done the pivot, right? but our mission is still the same. It's still about connecting. It's still about engagement. It's still about loving Milwaukee and everything that it is and making it even better mm -hmm. uh, for everybody. So that's really our focus. And I should, I have to say Fuel is branded as a standalone program, but we're actually a uh, service of the Metro Milwaukee Association of Commerce. So the MMAC is actually our parent 
um, company. We're a program within the MMAC. So oh, shout out see. to MMAC. We wouldn't be, you know, possible without them and their support. That's awesome. And I think maybe a lot of people might not know that. Yeah. Because it, the brand is so different. You Correct. Know? So, but they allow us to do that. Like, hey, right. whatever you think is going to attract people. And um, so they let us do that. Oh, my gosh. This is so one of my big questions is what made when you all made the pivot to online and then you start having these brave and challenging conversations. Why did you all go in that direction? You know what it was? Uh, the murder of George Floyd. OK. So initially, we started to do two webinars per week, mm -hmm. every week from the beginning of quarantine until the point that uh, George Floyd was murdered. So we had tons to talk about. At first, I was like, what are we going to do online? We're an in-person organization. But, you know, people had questions about what it meant to be in quarantine and work-life balance. And, you know, we did some financial literacy stuff. We did some health and wellness things. We did some, you know, leadership. You were a part of our professional development boot camp, which was hey very now. successful. Lo tons of people logging on, much more accessible. Um, yeah. You know, no capacity restrictions. That's, That's been the big thing. It's yeah. Like you, we don't have to cut off registration now, which Correct. was, you know, it would stop people um, in the past. So it was going fine. And a lot of the programming was for me, I'm very intuitive and I really listen to what people say. And if I hear something more than twice, then I really start to lean in and listen. Mm -hmm. That's where most of our programming comes from. It's like listening to what are people commiserating about? What are they mad about? What are they happy about? <laughs> yes. What are they scared of? And what, you know, what worries are people? And to me, that's all, that's good stuff. That's programming. Right. Right. So I, we were on social media, like everyone always is um, in this world. And the, the tape of um, George Floyd being brutally murdered by a police officer, of course, was being shared frequently on Facebook. Yes. At that point, I was like, I can't take any more self I'm like trauma. I can't do it. I'm not going to watch it. I haven't watched it to this day. I just couldn't do it. I'm like, I'm over it, you know? Mm -hmm. So I was kind of expecting what had happened in the past, you know, people of color black folks in particular would share this video there would be some outrage about it mm -hmm. our you know non-black friends would mostly you know quietly let that happen until it was blue until it blew over and yep. then we would go back to talking about trump or the new lipstick color at you know the lip bar, the lip bar or <laughs> you know whatever it might be and that didn't happen no it didn't happen and i'm like wait a minute so one of my friends is an actually an Asian woman has shared the video and made a comment about an article or something. And I remember she said, people are going to start getting really mad about this. If something isn't done about um, the way that these police officers are handling people. And she kind of went into depth about it. And it was like, I had to look at it again. Like, is this who is man who wrote this? Right. Because I just didn't expect her to say what she said with the passion that she said it. Uh -huh. And I'm like, OK, now when people outside of our community are this mad, something is about to happen. I was right. like that one that one message really. I don't know. It's like something inside of me started to stir mm -hmm. and I started to cry because I felt like something is getting ready to happen. And I really thought that it would be violent or that more people would be hurt and that more people were going to get killed because I just, I just kept picturing people are going to be so ticked off about this and they're going to go out into the streets and it's just going to be mayhem. And that's right. kind of what I was expecting. And people got really mad and they went out to the streets and it was peaceful protesting for the most part mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. very diverse. And I was overwhelmed by that. Right. So I'm just sitting with it. Like what's about to happen. Then I noticed that, more and more non-black people kept making comments right. about how frustrated they were mm -hmm. about how they couldn't believe what they had just seen and saying stuff like, wow, this is what black people have been saying all along. <laughs> Look, what? <laughs> <laughs> the gaslighting is over. You, you, you're admitting that you see it. Right. Like, wait, you're admitting that you see this, you mm. know, it was a, just, it was just such a shift and it was something that I had never seen before and I'm like, there's no way that we can let this pass and not talk about it. 
Now, Fuel has always had conversations about race, racism, segregation in particular, maybe once or twice a year. Okay. So I thought I'll be able to do maybe one or two of these podcasts before, you know, people start rolling their eyes when they get the email, like, here we go again with this. No. The first conversation we had was with all young professionals, a diverse panel, Uh and it was them giving their reaction to what they had seen in the video. Wow. And... 400 people registered for that conversation and the chat was crazy i'm sure it was crazy i got all these emails afterwards of people saying oh my gosh i've never had a conversation this honest and open and you know candid can you do one about this and that and this and that's okay well maybe i'll be maybe i can do two i'll do another one so we did the, (laughs) the second one the second one was a panel of all black young professionals men and women and I think we titled it the experience of racism. So a lot of them talked about the first time that they realized that their skin color was going to, you know, have them as an other. Right. So what was that? So we had a biracial woman Mm. that grew up in, um, I don't know. I think she grew up in Port Washington or something like that, Wisconsin. And she's like, clearly the only black person anywhere around and she's like as a kid we're all like six years old outside playing and these men go past in a in a truck and call her the n-word and she's like what's that right like who are (laughs) you you talking to to? it's the moment you know the moment that you realize that you're different and there that's everyone that was on the panel told that story and how that has affected their lives going forward you know to the point of you know now I'm a young professional and I'm climbing the ladder I'm doing my thing and here we go it's still showing up yeah that was great for a lot of our members because like I said fuel is mostly white 70 percent and you know people don't have these kind of conversations no they don't get a chance to hear that inside perspective of what it is to be othered and what othering really feels like and how it shows up yeah as a six-year-old kid and in a boardroom when you're being ignored and you said the exact same thing that your white colleague said after you and all of a sudden when that person said it it was brilliant you know so it was like experiences and examples like that from that point I kept getting emails of you know people saying thank you for doing this or suggestions or what people would love to hear and we've done panels of all white men we've done panels of all Native Americans panels of all black women panels of all um, Hispanic and Latin I mean like we've done everything you know And, and the content just keeps coming and keeps coming people keep showing up uh for it so next Next Thursday, um, we're having a conversation about our circles of influence and friendship and what it looks like when you intentionally diversify your friend network and the benefits of of doing that. So, yeah. Ooh, that sounds like it's about to be a good one. I think think it will be. (laughs) So I got to ask, when did you realize you were Black? I think I realized it in... um, I had gone to a traditional MPS school up until the third grade. Okay. When I was in the third grade, I tested into the gifted and talented track. So I ended up going to Golden My Year Elementary um, School, which was an amazing experience, completely changed my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was it was much more as a much more diverse school. Oh, okay. And um, much, I mean, uh, my best friend was Delia Kovac. That's Alderman Nick Kovac's baby sister. They lived on Lake Drive, and her mom used to come and um, get me from (laughs) the Berryland Projects on the north side. She would come and pick me up and take me to their home on Lake Drive. And the contrast there was just obvious to me, like, wow, this is how they live, and this is how I live, and it was just totally different. And um, there would be experiences when I was in – in that school and in that environment with very, very poor kids and very, very affluent kids. And um, the way that I was dressed or we, I remember we went on a trip to Chicago. Nice. We all get on the yellow bus and we're all loaded up. And my mom's like, here, I'm going to give you some money. So you have some money when you go to Chicago. And I'm like, this is awesome. She gave me like $15, maybe like 16 or $17. She had me $15 and maybe she had like two extra singles in her purse. She's, <laughs> She's like, like Take here, it. make it $17. <laughs> I have $17. And um, there's other kids on the bus that have like $100. Like my mom just gave me $100. I wish she had given me more. And then I'm like, uh, something's <laughs> different about me. Like this is right. Cause I was <laughs> this amped about my 17. about my $17. And then I realized that the $17 didn't go as far as, you know, I just remember just seeing a lot of contrast mm-hmm. and, um, 
that contrast made me more sensitive to the name calling that I would end up experiencing. Not kids, adults, not in in that school, but in, you know, walking to the to the corner store, there was a group of uh, white men sitting out drinking beers. I mean, they were, you know, sheets to the wind. They were drunk at this point, but every black person that walked past, they were, we were a different version of the N word. And they laughed every time somebody came up with a more creative way to say it. And ha ha ha, I may have been like eight. Wow. And I was like, what is happening? So I go to the store. I'm afraid to walk back past them again because they're going to do it again, right? If I go back past the call, they'll say it again. So I go all the way around so I don't have to. And I go home and I'm crying. And my mom's like, what's wrong? These men, they called me the N-word. And I remember the look on her face was like, oh, here we go. I cannot believe it's starting, you know? Right. Because she's so knew, little. She knew what was about to happen. And I was just like, what is what is this? I remember that feeling. But what really helped me is because I was at this gifted and talented school and I could see the contrast between, you know, affluent and poor, Mm -hmm. but academically we were all on the same page. Right. Okay. Like you weren't, the the poor kids were just as smart as the rich kids. It didn't matter. So that taught me something too, Mm. that it mattered to a point, but when it really came down to the nitty gritty, I mean, what's in your mind and what's in your head, nobody can take that from you and they can't, they can't compete with you on that. Like you show up, you show up as big as you can and you know the rest will work out and that has been my reality you know since since that time I love that story and I think it's so relatable right and all of us listening all the black people listening not just from Milwaukee but from anywhere they're probably reminiscing about like the first time they remember like oh I'm different um I'm black Is that a good thing? Is this going to help me? Is it going to hinder me? And all these things that run across our minds, typically as little kids, right? Five, six, seven, eight, somewhere around there. And then we grow up and then we get jobs and we probably work in predominantly white spaces. How do we prepare for that? You know what? I was thinking about this the other day. I don't think my kids code switch. Okay. Like I, I listen to them when they're in virtual and I listen to them when they speak to their friends and they have the same voice all the way through. That was different for me mm. because my mom code switched and I learned how to do it, listening to her do it. So it was this contrast of we grew up very proud to be black, like blackity black, 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 uh, at, black at every day, every day. It's right. a good thing. Right. Nobody ever articulated to me. This is not a good thing to be black. But I did notice that. Black people, when they went into white spaces, became a little bit more white. Really? Just a little bit. Just let, take the bass out your voice just a little bit. Yes. Hello. Oh, absolutely. You know, instead <laughs> right. of, yeah, uh-huh. Mm-hmm, that's right. Instead of that. Right. right so it's right. just a little different, but it was enough of a difference. It was nuanced. But as a black child, I picked up on it. And there was a message to me that said, being black is beautiful, but it's not accepted. Mm. everywhere or it's not as relatable or you got to lighten it up just a little bit so that they can hear you yeah. or so that you can, you know. So I think that was a, a process for me um, to unlearn that, uh, which started for me in college to, of unlearning it. And I'm going to stop code switching when I catch myself doing it. I'm going to stop doing it and ask myself, okay, why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. And is the bass in my voice that offensive to people that they can't, I can't make the point. Right. My first, my second job, my first job out of college, I was at uh, manpower, which is now called manpower group mm-hmm. as a proposal writer. So I was an intern that turned to a job and I could pretty much be myself there because I started off as an intern and I was like, okay, this is cool. They see me as a cute little intern. Right. <laughs> I left there and went to America's black Holocaust museum of all places to do um, fundraising, pretty much. I was a grant writer. Okay. And I met Janine Edwards. Hey, Janine! Of P3 and many other affiliations. But I remember Janine was working at, she was working for um, the, tour, the State Tourism Bureau. Mm-hmm. And they were a funder of ours. So we had come in to work on some some project together. And I noticed that she never changed her voice. Never. And she was the first person that had really seen 
never changed their voice like so much so that like, like that is seared into my memory about her right. it was many years later before I even told her that how the impact that that had on me but I knew that she was a lawyer mm-hmm. and that she had this really cool job at the state and that she was really well well respected mm-hmm. and that when she spoke she had black woman bass in her voice <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and it never went away and so at that point, I was like, okay, I can do this because I have a heavy, you know, I clear, like people would say, you got a black scent. I sound black. <laughs> Not a black scent. I love it. <laughs> I answer the phone. You can tell that I'm black. You know, right. you see my name, you think I'm a white man. But as soon as I start talking to her, this is a black lady on the phone, right? Right. So Janine, her success showed me that I could, I could speak with my natural voice and it would be fine. Mm-hmm. So I started to do it. That's just one of the examples that I think of now when we have to navigate what it is to be black and white spaces. Yeah. And resist the urge to assimilate or Mm -hmm. to somehow shift and change the way that we would naturally show up our authentic power. Right. You know? The, our talent and our power is in being who we actually are, how we were raised, what we were taught, what our aunties and uncles and grandpas, and all this stuff that they put in us, the common sense, the way that we see the world, our bluntness, our, you know, straight talk. I tell people at my job all the time, black people, we, we don't do this, you know, like, no, we're just going to say it blunt. Like, mm-hmm. like, stop beating around the bush. Stop with the passive aggression. Just say it. Right. I'm black. You could just say it to me. I'm not, it's not going to offend me. You know, I've said that so many times to white people. They're like, is she actually saying this? I'm like, yes, just come on out and say it. It's like, stop playing. Just say it. <laughs> I love Because it. it's culturally like, that's how we operate. That's so true. But you know what? I think we're told at work, bevel the edges significantly. Yep. Right? Like, stop being so forward like that we don't like it how much longer does it take to get stuff done when you do that ages it takes so much longer you You know know? i'm i've been at mmac for 12 years so i feel comfortable saying things now Mm -hmm. (laughs) i think i mean they know me well enough that i can get away now i'm not saying on the first day you go in there look white folks stop (laughs) (laughs) maybe not that not that not that (laughs) but i do i do feel like we are in a place now where people can be a little bit more honest about what authenticity means to them mm-hmm. and what professionalism looks like in their world and that it might be different than what the status quo is right now but right. all of this talk about conc- and inclusion and diversity and equity I mean I think people have a little bit more of an of an ear people of all races and backgrounds have a little bit more um it's more palatable now to have some of these yes. difficult conversations. For and sure. I'm like, hey, we got to seize the day, right? Because this is our shot to mm-hmm. really change the landscape of what it is to show up as yourself. Yeah, I mean, and that's, I think that's a huge call out. Because in, in 2020, I feel like post-George Floyd, companies could not get away with the usual, like, as what you were saying, okay, we're just going to like wait and see what happens and we won't say anything and everyone will forget. But because the world was the stage versus it being, you know, something that a few people saw, literally everybody was cooped up in their house. Everybody saw it. Yeah. And so it set this platform or it set this ball or motion in place where we're like, oh, I guess we get her. We better like. I guess we got to start talking about it. We weren't planning on it, but uh, I guess putting up the black box on Instagram will not suffice. I guess we got to do something. You got to actually do something. So when you think about diversity, equity, and inclusion in in organizations, and even the work that you're doing through your podcast, what are some things that you think companies should be thinking about as they're making these spaces for people of diverse backgrounds to come in and feel welcomed what are some things that companies need to be thinking about based on all these panels that you've facilitated yeah so it's the panels on the on the fuel side the other hat that I wear is VP of community affairs for MMAC okay um, reference before Metro Milwaukee Association of Commerce we have a a initiative called the region of choice Mm. which is really focused on employers Okay, And that talent experience in these companies. So what the region of choice is, is it's a program with um, 
goals. And those goals are around hiring for black and brown talent. Um, and there's some other uh, other pillars, but the first piece is really representation. So when we look at the management level across organizations in Milwaukee, mm. okay, mm. so <laughs> black and brown talent are not being elevated to the level of manager no. at the same rate as their white counterparts. Not at it's all. Significantly less. So through Region of Choice, our what we're doing is bringing attention to that fact and the data around that mm-hmm. and really, really pushing companies to say, okay, what's going on in our organization and why are our black and brown employees being developed and invested in at the same rates? They're not being championed at the same rates. Nope. They're staying in their roles much longer than yep. their white counterparts. They're not moving up as fast. They're not being selected as versioning leaders they're not being selected for stretch projects nope uh for the hot jobs that would put give them the visibility that would send them to the next level Mm -hmm. all of the strategic moves that upper management employs when they see high potential people right so a lot for for me and most people of color we know or anybody that really works in dni um and has done this work you know you know there is bias that's kind of built into the way pe- people operate and yep. there's the bias that comes along with you favoring people who are like you so yes. when a older white man sees a younger white man come in he sees himself and he pays special attention to that person mm-hmm. when i see a young black person i favor that person because i right. see myself and i'm going to naturally so this stuff is human nature it doesn't make you a an evil person you're not you know beelzebub because you favor people <laughs> who look we all do that right right but there's so few black and brown people in the leadership position to give that same favor to young black and brown talent that you create this really lopsided um, acceleration mm-hmm. of of skills and leadership so a lot of our work is around making sure that people understand that this is how this is human nature and human nature is going to show up and it's going to evolve in your company. And mm-hmm. the only thing that is going to curb that natural human nature is culture, right? The culture that you create in your organization is all about what is acceptable, uh, what is not acceptable, right? And how you respond to acceptable and not acceptable. There it is. Compensation, warnings uh, uh, conversations right you know so what tone are you setting mm-hmm. for equity diversity and inclusion is are your managers culturally competent and if they're not do they know why they're not do you know why you're not so these are all of the conversations that we're really pushing these companies to have and i tell you this is not easy i was just about to start asking questions oh no it's not easy <laughs> at the dei level Okay, mostly women, black and brown, people of color at that level. They get it. We can talk about this all day long. For sure. Once you start going up, 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 the further away people are from the experience of being othered or being discriminated against, the less comfortable they are talking about it. Absolutely. And the more they want it to be a pipeline issue. Yeah. We can't find people who know how to do these jobs. Black and brown talent. We can find them. Can't find them. Well, no, if you keep looking in your Rolodex of your white friends, no, you're not going to find them in there. They're they're in other places that maybe you don't want to go to 502, but maybe you should. That. Go down there and have your drink. Listen, <laughs> guess go where, on. Guess where, what you're going to find? Black and brown talent. Right. You know? So it's like pushing people a little bit outside of their boxes. And we're, it's just the beginning. That. It's just the beginning. But we're on our way. So when I think about these organizations, probably many members of Fuel work in them, and they probably come to you like, Corey Joe, they need to rally, sis, what we, because they don't listen, you know, so they probably are lifting up these ideas of what they're not doing, their areas of opportunity, so is, I guess, through the Region of Choice program, Will the organizations have to give you all reports? Will they have to? Yeah. What if they don't get their poop in a group? What but, happens? <laughs> so we, there's 111 companies that have signed the pledge. Okay. And they, this is what they committed to increasing. This is Now, this is all an aggregate. So we'll report the numbers together. We're not going to call out any one company. I but mean. Together. <laughs> they'll know their individual numbers. We right. will too, but in aggregate, we'll report it. Um, but what they have pledged is that... In the so we have four years left. So in the we started a year ago. In the course of five years, mm-hmm. 
we would collectively increase the numbers of black and brown managers at mm. the manager level by 25%. Across all the organizations. Across all organizations. And then increase the numbers of black and brown talent um, hired at large, just at large, okay. by 15%. There are other, we have two other pillars. One is around supplier diversity and the other is around education. And that first one is what we are calling representation. So they've committed to at least the first pillar of representation, the 111 that have signed. And they will report their numbers to us on an annual basis of how they're doing. And then we will report that out, of course, in aggregate to <laughs> the community. And the Business Journal has been covered. I mean, it'll be pretty pretty easy for people to to access it. Okay. Um, so the, in the meantime, what we're doing, our work as a convener at MMAC is really to organize that work, organize all the reporting, the data, make sure that we get it. But also we're creating and have been creating programming around the topics of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And before we launched the program, we did 15 focus groups with black and brown uh, managers. And we did a very extensive survey that over 1,000 black and brown managers took, which gave us a lot of meaty, substantial um, and anecdotal mm-hmm. evidence behind this idea that cultures don't support black and brown talent in the same way that and this is what it feels like mm-hmm. when it's happening and this is how it shows up and this is how they're seeing other groups being favored and they're just more and more invisible or overlooked or under-resourced and you know lots of stories um, from people's experiences and I'll tell you it's not easy to read Oh, I'm a girl. <laughs> Not easy to look at. Right. But, I, you know, there are a lot of the CEOs, white CEOs, that are really pushing our whole group to do more, move faster. I mean, they get really? it. They get it. A lot of them do. A lot of them are like, look, if we're going to be a region of choice and our companies are going to be able to compete in this world that is becoming more black and more brown. We have got to be able to invest in our black and brown talent and make them want to be here because it could be anywhere in the world. That. They get it. A lot of them do. Now that is powerful. I feel like I have so many questions. (laughs) Um, Do you think that maybe part of what's driving their increased understanding is the black flight and how how much of the black talent is going elsewhere? Yeah, it's a challenge. I mean, even recruiting. Mm-hmm. If um, a lot of our uh, recruiters are sort of reaching out to talent and, you know, the first thing somebody reach out to you and say, hey, come to XYZ City. The first thing you're going to do is Google, you know, life in XYZ City. Or like, right. So for if somebody Googles what it is it like to be black in Milwaukee. Oh, well, OK, <laughs> so you know what we're going to get. Right. So segregation, how many reports and rankings and studies have put us at the top five for, you know, the poorest cities, you know, for uh, for black right. people in America and right. the most segregated uh, city and, you know, uh, inequity for, you know, for brown people and the educational disparities. And there are so many challenges that I think come to the forefront. The whole reason why we started Region of Choice is because the MMAC board members were are often surveyed and they were surveyed on what are the assets that make it easy for you to grow your business and to uh, bring talent into your companies? And what are the drawbacks? What are the challenges that make it hard for you to run a business in Milwaukee? What are the things that would make you say, mm, you know, this is getting kind of hard and right. do it here. Yeah. It would be easier somewhere else. When we asked that question, uh, the racial inequity was number one for the challenge. Really? This is the Metro Milwaukee Association of Commerce Board of Directors. Okay. And they are saying this diversity, um, the issue of diversity, mm-hmm. uh, racial inequity, and segregation are huge reasons why com- companies are not going to be able to scale and grow at the rate that they normally would. So they have an understanding wow. that if we do not get this right, yeah. We can't survive in the region um, and thrive in the way that we want to. It's going to hinder our potential mm-hmm. because diversity, inclusion, equity, that's where it's at, right? So it's yeah. like 
over and over again, we've seen study after study after study. The more diverse a team is, the more successful they are because they can see everything. Yes, they will always outperform homogenous teams always. every time. But they're harder to manage. Harder to manage. Right? But every manage. time, over time, they'll perform, they'll outperform a homogenous team. But so if it's if it's the white people noticing, do you think that this will eliminate the whole idea of I don't see color. We all look the same. I think that there is I think that there is a segment of people who have that so deeply ingrained. You know, it's been so ingrained in them to deny, deny, deny. Because they feel like anytime you start to talk about race, equity, inclusion, inequity, that you're pointing a finger at them. Mm. But I think the younger generations are understanding that this is a this is a conversation about systems, not individuals. Yeah, We're not blaming you. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the system that has been built to produce you, like you, that looks like you over and over and over and over and over again. Right. So you benefit from it. You mm-hmm. are responsible for for dismantling it, but it's not necessarily your fault. Absolutely. You know, the fault that you have is to ignore it and not do your piece to undo it. But I think the younger talent is, again, I mean, we're the standard for, you know, millennials and and, uh, Gen Gen Z Z is diversity. Yeah. They're the most diverse cohorts ever. Yeah. They look to their left and they right and it's somebody brown. You know what I mean? So it's it's just it's just more normal to them mm-hmm. not to say that there isn't racism and that there there aren't going to be biases or that we won't have young bigots out there i mean all <laughs> that, of that, that all of that will still exist but it's not the same way as when there were fewer um people different people around mm-hmm. their standard is diversity so they're much yeah. more open to these conversations that some of the older generations have a hard time with not everybody there's some older people who get it and they're like right on track but there's going to be some folks that are still think the right answer to this is I don't see color because they don't understand how offensive that is and they're not going to take the time to listen they don't have the opportunity to be around enough you know people they're not going to put themselves in the positions to really learn they over it they want to retire enjoy their money and you know and okay I get it okay right well let's just make sure that your kids and your grandkids and your great great grandkids get it because mm-hmm. those are really going to be the people that make the the strides I think absolutely they're going to be tomorrow's leaders yeah and I mean kind of as I think about what you were saying that it's not just black people who expect diversity and they're used to it white people are too yeah. do you think that that impacts how young white people might experience Milwaukee if they maybe come here for college see that it's super segregated does that make them want to stay or would that make them say I want to go back where I came from because it's more diverse and I see someone brown to my right and somebody black to my left so there's so a bunch of different studies out there that you can look at but I'll say in general the numbers land at about 70 percent of millennials and Gen Zers that list diversity as um, a factor when they're choosing a, a job or a city that they oh. consider it. Wow. That's a lot, right? Yeah. So that's across across race. Just people in general care about this. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, if you look two or three generations back, the majority of people that were coming into the workforce at the levels that we are, at the professional levels, it was mostly white. So it was a homogenous group. They were used to that. It was Correct. the standard. Right. The standard is becoming something different for us. So. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to be in sort of this this place where it's like everybody is the same. And you yeah. know, up until I remember when I went away to college, I went to school my first couple of years in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And people would ask me where I was from. And then when I would say Milwaukee, they would take a beat and look at me. And then they say, there's black people in Milwaukee. Black people in Milwaukee. <laughs> so right. I knew you would know that. But anytime I tell this story in a group full of white people, they never know what's getting ready to come. They really? never know what I'm getting ready to say. So never. But the black people in the room always know what I'm getting ready to say. Right. And they're like, wait, how come people think there's no black people in Milwaukee? And I said, well, that's the same question I would ask them. Uh, When I moved here, I was like, there's black people in Milwaukee. (laughs) I was like, where are they? And I had to look for them. So where did you where did you get your your image of Milwaukee before you came here? How did you develop that image? Where did it come from? Do you remember? So being honest, 
I didn't even know where Milwaukee was. Okay. Okay. I was like, is that, that's a city? <laughs> where is that? But in my defense, you know, I didn't grow up in the United States. Because yes. I feel like yeah, if yeah. I grew up here, that's maybe right. I would know that for sure. No, there's lots of people who don't. Okay, good. So I won't feel bad. But I came to visit in the snow. And mm-hmm. so I was just thinking like, okay, black people wouldn't live here. Not on purpose. Ah, it's freezing. That's right. And okay. I feel like we are a sun people. We are. We like the sun. But we go to the Twin Cities and it's freezing there too. It's worse. It's even more. It's, worse. it's even more frozen. So I was really, I was struggling. I'm like, okay, so it can't be the weather because we definitely are, you know, in the Twin Cities. So what is making, so I would ask people, I would, I remember I was on campus in Tulsa and these people kept asking me the same thing over and over again. It's black people, more, I don't care what color they were, where they were, where they lived in the world. They kept, they were like shocked that I was from Milwaukee. So I finally started to ask, what makes you think there's, cause I'm 18. I've never been outside of Milwaukee. Hmm. So this was weird to me. Yeah. So I'm like, what makes y'all think that there's no black people in Milwaukee? And they would say, Laverne and Shirley and happy days. Really? That was well, our there's brand. There's no black people on the show. And think about that 70s show is also based in Milwaukee. There's no black people on that show either. So if okay. people have never been here, or never experienced somebody from Milwaukee and they really just don't know anything about Milwaukee. Right. And they stay up late at night and watch these <laughs> shows or even back when it was a standard, when it was like, okay, these shows are just on television as a normal part of everyday programming. It helped people cultivate this idea that Milwaukee is this place where people eat cheese, drink beer, and they all white. Well, yeah, fair. <laughs> yeah, I figured it was a weather thing. It was, you know, and it's a, it's, it could be a combination of things, but that was the one that kept coming up. And then if and then now when you ask people, what do you think about Milwaukee? People will say Jeffrey Dahmer. They'll say, uh, I mean. Well, yeah, the, I thought about that. So this is all real stuff, right? So when you're a recruiter <laughs> and you're looking to recruit people of color or people and young people, I'm going to recruit that. Uh, the the top knowledge workers in the world to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, we have to really think about what it is that is out there in the universe that helps shape a brand Mm -hmm. of our city and people's minds. Yeah. And what are we doing and putting out there to cultivate either a different idea to soften what's already out there to offer some alternatives. We have a lot of work to do and Mm -hmm. there's been a lot. I mean, there's been a lot of work, done but we all have to have these talking points we all have to be able to lift up people like you and me and programs like the african-american leadership program yeah i mean we have to be able to point to these things at the ready because folks are coming with question they come and loaded now Absolutely. what's going on with this segregation what's going on with this cheese and, and, beer? Let's and go, those know? were my questions <laughs> and the white bosses that i had when i moved here had nothing for me you gotta have they something. were like why don't you come live in um, I don't know, Grafton. Yeah. And I was like, I heard there's no black people over right. there. Why would I go live there? Right. And they're like, oh my God, whatever you do, don't live on the north side. It's right. very dangerous. Right. I'm like, so that's coded language for that's where the black people that's are. Black people so are. that's probably where I'm gonna go because this is this is nuts. But I what think helped it's the you, news. What helped you come anyway? Um, honestly, I, I was Megan Markling it and I didn't do a lot of research. Okay. So I think had I done a lot of research, one person told me it was really violent and that I wouldn't be able to walk outside. And so I was like, I guess I'll just live in a nice apartment. I don't I don't. So my strategy was to not stay for for very long. Yes. I was just going to stay for 15 months Mm -hmm. so I wouldn't have to pay my relocation fees. Okay. And then go back where I came from or somewhere else. Yep. And I just figured that I'd be able to make friends and that I'd have a good time for the short time. Yep. Seven years later. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think it was me not doing any research, but hearing that it was violent and then just committing to staying inside because it's cold. Yeah. So think about if you had had a child already and how that research may have been different when you start to look at school. You know, Ooh, so this is so this, yeah. is, this is your story is a story that is one of many different stories that are kind of like that, but they're all sort of have that through line of, uh, this is not a destination city, but uh, you know, I'll stay here for, it's a pit stop. It's a pit stop. So we got to have our recruiters positioned to overcome that pit stop mentality. Yes. Any level of research that you do is going to produce something that says to you, "Mm, this is cool. This is a good job opportunity. The salary is cool, but yeah, I won't be here long. 
that. And unless we do something to counteract that either before they get here, because, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of them aren't even going to get to the point of saying yes. Right. And the ones that do say yes and see this as a pit stop, how do you overcome that mm-hmm. and make sure that they're really, I mean, that's what Fuel is all about. Organizations like Fuel, the Urban League, Young Professionals Group, um, Social X, the New Walkies of the world. All of these groups are here to make sure that the talent that is here get stuck here through relationships and through falling in love with our built environment and our history and, you know, the leadership and the the brands that make us a distinct place. If you don't have access to all those things, you don't have any context for really why Milwaukee is special and what it can do for you mm-hmm. in your life and as a professional, especially if you're black and brown. It's like, right. you know, so... Is all of that there for you? Yeah. Is it easy to, to mine? No. It takes effort and it takes partnership and relationships like we're trying to to build through the organizations that exist, the ones that I mentioned, and more. Hispanica and Hispanic professionals of, you know, greater, I mean, there's all kinds of groups that are like working every day to make sure that our professionals feel connected to each other, that they're making the kind of friendships that make it hard to leave a city, that they're on boards. That right. They're, you know, but you know what? None of that matters if you want to be promoted and it's not happening. So for the for the companies that signed the pledge, are y'all working with their recruiters to help them rally their lives so that when black and brown people come from their cities that don't necessarily function like Milwaukee, somebody like me could come on board and maybe be plugged into AALP, like where I'm filling out the application from another state And then joining AALP like in October or something like that or being like being in fuel or being in social X is mandatory. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, you're starting this job at Miller or Rockwell or BMO, but you have to join fuel, social something because I just feel like a lot of times for transplants coming to Milwaukee, a lot of the folks that they meet were born and raised here. And it's really hard to make friends Mm -hmm. because there's a no new friends policy that everybody signed. So true. You know what I mean? And no one told us. I have mine in my purse. Oh, you see? It's in here. Don't come over here. Try to be my friend. (laughs) I I mean, it's a natural. um, Then this is why I noticed it, because I am a native. So I would not have noticed it if there were not for people like you drawing my attention to it. Right. So Mm -hmm. here I am running fuel and half of our members are transplants. So they come to these events and usually it ends up being the transplants that end up making friends with each other. Yes. It's a pattern that I didn't notice. It took me, it took me a couple of years to notice it. Mm-hmm. And I'm having this conversation and this woman is saying, you know, I'm thinking about going back to my, my, you know, hometown. She comes to a lot of events. I'm like, why? <laughs> We're, this is great. Yeah. This is awesome. You come to all these amazing <laughs> right. events. Don't you see all these people in here? What's wrong with you, girl? <laughs> exactly. And so she says, no, this is cool. This is great. But, you know, on Saturdays when I'm bored, I don't have anybody's refrigerator to raid I can't just pull up at somebody's that, house and just that and when she said that it hit me like wow that's that is so struggle. true because I always have somebody's refrigerator to raid right mm-hmm. and I started to notice after she said that I started to notice that when people co- would come in the door and they were new either to the group or to the city I look through the room and I find the most effervescent, the most outgoing, the the popular fuelers, the few people who know everybody, who love to talk to, you know, I would bring this person over to that person. I would make a quick introduction and I would expect magic's going to happen and they're going to make friends and I'll turn my back and I'll go back to doing whatever I was doing. And then I turn back around and the person is by themselves again. Because the thing about being a Milwaukeean is that we're very polite. We are very nice. We are going to be friendly, but we ain't finna be your friend. Girl, at least you know. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I've been here seven years. Not gonna be your friend. Not naturally. Not naturally. But right. once we started to notice the behavior, then we kind of started to build in that talking to the na- like we would let, let them know, look, y'all, this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. Right. Put yourself in their shoes. How would you want somebody to welcome you in into the group? We also would purposely link transplants together. Yeah, because it would be a much easier connection. So we just try to do what makes sense. But it's all about paying attention to human behavior, right? Like Mm -hmm. how do Milwaukeeans naturally act and what are we naturally doing? Yeah, I'm so glad we had this conversation because I've just been like, I'm dying. I need more friends. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, So as we get ready to wrap up, especially again with the work that you all are doing at Fuel with the podcast and the work that's being done with the region of choice And the fact that 
it's now cool to be talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's now cool to be holding people accountable and saying, hey, we're not just going to post a black box and then act like nothing happened. So when you think about the work, the initiatives, diversity, equity, and inclusion, the fact that we're talking about it way more than we ever have, is there something that we should know that we don't know or something that we should be thinking about, whether we are the employee or the employer? Is there something that we don't know that we need to know or something that we should be thinking about that we're not thinking about right now? I would just quickly just say two two things, and I think this is becoming more more clear as people stop talking about diversity this used to be a diversity conversation diversity get more people of different backgrounds in the room right Mm -hmm. diversity is about the numbers of different kinds of people it's just a numbers thing it doesn't mean that because you're in the room you're included and that your voice matters that so it's not just diversity is inclusion that means you're going to have a seat at the table and when you speak it matters Mm -hmm. and then there's equity so it's taking in consideration all the things that have happened before this point that may have you performing at a lower level than than other people not because of your ability but because of the positioning through history through resources through you know whatever nepotism favoritism whatever it might be just the real tangible things that put us a few steps behind and what can we do to adjust that artificially, physically, mentally, whatever we need to do to make sure that things are um, as fair as possible. So it's paying attention to all of those things. It's not just about diversity. Don't just invite me because you need some black folks in the room. That. Okay. No matter what I say, no matter how I show up, whether you want to hear it or not, the way I'm saying, listen to what I'm saying and really, really take that into account. And the other piece is representation matters. We've been hearing that over and over again. For me, I'm like, let's get as many black and brown, Hispanic, Asian, yellow, whatever leaders as possible into position because the continued leadership of people of color in positions that make a difference is what's going to sustain this movement. As long as it's white people at the top and we're just having these conversations down here, it will fizzle out. And we will move on to the next thing once we're back into the new normal. Mm -hmm. But let's pack, let's get as many leaders as possible because leaders create more leaders and that creates sustained change over time. I mean, pass the collection plate, y'all. I mean, that was like an entire word, edges snatched, (laughs) truth spoken, done and done. So as we close, Corey Joe, how can we stay in touch with you? What is there anything new and exciting coming up that we should be on the lookout? We're going to have our uh, race bridge, which is now moving to um, monthly to make room for us to bring back our leadership luncheon series and our professional development um, programming, some volunteering programming, which is all going to be virtual. So for the most part, we're going to remain virtual. So you'll be able to check us out and um, we'll be virtual probably until we do professional development boot camp in January. So you want to go to the website, which is fuelmilwaukee.org and sign up for next Thursday's webinar. And then you'll be in our system and you'll get notices about everything that we're doing. If you're an employer or work in HR, then go to mmac.org and you'll look for the tab that says region of choice and get information about how your company can sign the pledge or to see if your company did sign the pledge. And then you can kind of plug in and maybe um, nudge them a little bit to do even more. That. Oh my gosh, Corey Joe. Thanks so much for hanging out with me. This Thank is you. awesome. This was really fun. Thank you for having me. Well, y'all, I hope you had your pens and your notebooks, and now you know where to find Corey Joe. It has been a pleasure. Did you enjoy this episode of Alum Talks? Please share this episode with another incredible Black leader. Rate this episode five stars and follow us on social media. We are on LinkedIn and Facebook as Alum and Instagram as Alum Milwaukee. Remember, that's A-A-L-A-M-I-L-W-A-U-K-E-E. And if you've got questions or a topic recommendation, email us at info at alummilwaukee.org. Alum, advancing leaders, accelerating change.